it's been said, how you see your life shapes your life. How you see your life shapes your life. How do you see your life? Whether you know it or not, you have a, a life metaphor. You have some kind of picture, some kind of image, some kind of metaphor that, you know, well, life is this, or life is like that. For many people, life is a party, or at least they try to make it a party. Life is all about having fun. Life is all about having a good time. And so everything else they do in life, their work, everything else they do is about the next party. It's about having a good time. Uh, Some people, their life metaphor is life is a a minefield. I'm afraid... I'm, I'm scared, I'm worried, I'm just trying to get through life without stepping on something, without blowing everything up. I, I, I'm all about security, I'm all about safety, and you know, life is so dangerous, and what, what's your life metaphor? Maybe you're a skeptic or a cynic, and you, you see life as a carousel, and you would say, well, you know, life is a carousel, you just kind of go round and round, and then you die. What, what, what's your metaphor for life? What's your image? The way you see your life shapes your life. It will influence you on your priorities, your goals, you, how you spend your time, what, what you chase after. It will greatly shape your relationships, whether you value relationships or, or not. What we see in our text here today, and I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and we're we're working our way through the book of Hebrews this summer, and we're almost done. One chapter left, chapter 13, next Sunday. But here in Hebrews chapter 12 is this famous chapter where he talks about how life is a race. Say that with me. Life is a race. Life is a race, and it's a certain kind of race. There is a way to run this race well. There is a way to really mess it up, too. And, and there's a certain goal to this race. And if you don't see your life this way, you could be running the wrong race. You might achieve all kinds of goals and have all kinds of, of success and achievements to find out they've been the wrong goals and the wrong kinds of achievements. You've been running the wrong race. Let's see what this race is is about, and uh, and then we'll we'll unpack about how we can live this race well, how we can run the race well. So turn your Bibles with me. You also see on the back of your program an outline there in case you want to follow along there this morning as well. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to look at the first 13 verses. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, 
You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Life is a race. And notice, it's, it's more of a marathon. It's a long-distance kind of race. It's not a sprint. You don't need much perseverance for a 100-yard dash. But you need a lot of perseverance for, for a race like a marathon. And notice, you have a race marked out for you. In one sense, we all have the same race, this race of life, this race of faith in Jesus Christ. But in another sense, we each run our own race. So run the race marked out for you. I've often shared with people of all the sports. You know, I love sports and I've played several of them. Of all the sports, the athletes that impress me the most are the marathon runners. Think about what they are doing. It just, it just blows my mind. They are running at a pace for 20, over 26 miles that even years ago, when I was 20 years old, if I would try to run alongside of them, I could hardly keep up with them for a couple hundred yards or so, let alone run 26 miles at that pace. It just blows my mind how that is even humanly possible. And, and yet they do it. What, what we see here in Hebrews 12 is that life is a marathon. It's, it's a long race. And this, this life of faith in Jesus Christ requires perseverance because you're going to, at times, get tired. And there are going to be all kinds of obstacles in, the, in this race. And it's going to take endurance, perseverance. And it's not a competition where we're trying to beat each other. In fact, in this race, we're trying to help each other so that we all run the race well. What we see in this passage is at least five ways to run the race well. I, I want us to look briefly at each of these five ways on how we can run this race well. And I want you to be reflecting as we go through this, because at the end we're going to have communion together. You see tables down front. We're going to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, at the end of the, the message today. And so as we work through Scripture and prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, I want you to be especially asking yourself, God, what are you saying to me? What, what are you saying to me? Through your Scripture, through your Holy Spirit, really be listening and asking God, God, what are you telling me today? How can I run my race better?
How can I bring you more honor and glory by running the race well so that at the end of the day I can say I've run the race. I've kept the faith. Let's look at these five ways. Number one, the first way we run our race well is to look back. He says we need to look back at this great cloud of witnesses. Look at it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. A great cloud of witnesses. Now, Notice he starts off with the word therefore. And in the Greek, it's a really strong word, therefore. He's coming off of chapter 11. And remember, last Sunday, Greg Martin preached on on Hebrews 11. Didn't he do a great job? Greg, where are you? I think you're here today. He's here today. So just, you know, did a great job. I don't know where he's at. I can't see him. Oh, there he is, back there. Okay, good job, man. And, and he, he, he talked about what faith is and how we live by faith. Hebrews 11 is a great faith chapter. It, it starts off with, with, you know, Abel. Abel lived by faith. Noah lived by faith. Abraham lived by faith. And the question is, how do we know? How do we know they had faith? Because of their actions. It was because of what they did. You could tell they were living by faith. They were living lives full of faith in God and trusting in Him, so much so that it influenced their behavior. It, it influenced the direction of their lives. Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed and followed God, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. So we learned last week that faith, to live by faith, it, it's an action. And, and faith is really a verb. Faith is something that, that will shape your life. And so ask yourself, do I really have faith? Am I living by faith? So many people say, oh, I have faith. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But you look at their life, and, and it's hard to see any way that their faith, that they say they have in God, is shaping who they are, what they do, how they live. And you wonder, are they really living by faith? Because you look at Scripture, and faith is a verb. Faith will grab a hold of you, and it changes you, and it changes even your action and how you live your life. And so Hebrews chapter 12 starts off, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it's pointing us back to this cl- cloud of witnesses that we just read in Hebrews chapter 11. All of these Old Testament men and women of God and how they live by faith, how they ran their race well. He says, therefore, let, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, let us look back to them and, 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 and draw courage and draw inspiration from them. So look back. Look back. This is how you and I run our race well. Realize that there are many people who have run the race before us. I love to do this. You know, I, obviously, I love to study Scripture, and I love to, to read the Bible or the Old Testament, and, and, and I like to look at the lives of Moses and Abraham and, and Joshua and David and, and, and in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles and the apostle Paul and, and, and see how they ran their race and, and, and draw inspiration. I love looking back, but I also enjoy looking back at my own life personally. 
and I, and I look back at my own life, and I see the people who have gone before me and who prepared the race and prepared the way for me. I think of my mother who took me and my two sisters to church and what a role model she was, what an example she was, and how she ran her race well. I think of the the two pastors that I grew up under, Pastor Hatch and and Pastor Lynch, and how I got to know them and how they they shaped me and influenced me and were good role models for me. I think of my one aunt in particular who even when I was like 11, 12 years old, she said, Craig, I I think you're going to be a pastor someday. And and, and how she spoke into my life. And, And so I look back at the great cloud of witnesses in my life and I draw inspiration and I draw courage and I see how they ran their race well, how they persevered, how they endured even through all the hard times and it inspires me to run my race well. Who's your great cloud of witnesses? Hopefully you have some in your own life. But even if, if you don't, maybe you come from a non-believing family and you say, oh, I don't have a great cloud of witnesses in my own life. Well, then, then look to Scripture and, and, and look at Hebrews 11. But this is how you and I can run our race well. We learn from others who have gone before us. So we, we look back. We look back. And then secondly, we lighten up. Notice he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, we need to lighten up. We need to throw off everything that hinders, anything that will hinder us to slow us down in this race, and especially the sin that so easily entangles. You know, when athletes uh, ran back in the Olympics, now you know, don't you, that the Olympics started like 1,000 B.C., in Greece. The Olympics are that old. And so Jesus and the apostles, they they knew about the Olympics. It was happening even back then. In fact, many scholars believe that the apostle Paul uh, attended some of the Olympics because he uses some imagery of, of these uh, uh, athletic competitions. That, that it, and he lived in a time when scholars know that this was happening around, you know, in Greece and in Corinth and in that, that part of the world. So when, when athletes would run a race back then, did you know that they usually ran completely naked? Yes, completely naked. They would literally throw off everything that hinders. And aren't you glad athletes don't do that today? A few years ago, I ran in one of our 5K races here that we used to have here. And uh, my, my goal, in fact, I think we have another one coming up. I think Draw is going to be doing it here next uh, in just a few weeks, this next month in September. But uh, I remember running in, in some of these 5K runs that we had here. And my goal was to run the 5K, and I want, my goal was to break 25 minutes, and I never could do it. I, I never was a runner, never very good at it, but I just use it kind of as a personal goal and use it to work out kind of thing. And I remember one year where it was uh, unusually cold. And so I started the race, you know, with an extra sweatshirt on and sweatpants on. Let me tell you, what a mistake. Because, you know, being a novice runner, you expert runners would, would go, oh, you should not do that. You know, you should have the appropriate aerodynamic clothes on and all that. About a mile into it, I am overheating. And I have to stop. I literally have to stop alongside the road out here. And I'm, I take off my sweatshirt and I take off my sweatpants and I start running again. That is not the way to run the race well. 
That's not the way to have a, you know, achieve a goal like break 25 minutes or, or whatever. So let me ask you, what, what is hindering you in your race that you need to throw off? And notice, it's not even necessarily sinful. He talks about the sin that so easily entangles us. That's coming up in just a moment. But, but first he says, throw off everything that hinders you. You see, there are some things in your life and in my life, it's not sin. It's not necessarily wrong, but it's just a hindrance. It's slowing you down. It's, it's just not really good for you to be doing this or having this in, in your life. And, you know, experts, you know, when, expert runners, when, when they run today, they, they, they will wear this aerodynamic clothing because they don't want anything slowing them down. How can you become more aerodynamic as you run your race better? Maybe, maybe it's something like just some hobbies that are taking way too much time. Maybe it's some goals or some habits that you have. They're not really sinful, not really wrong, but they are slowing you down. They're not helping you run this race of faith very well. Maybe you have some good things in your life that you actually need to stop doing so that you can focus on the best things. Throw off everything that hinders, he says. And then he goes on to say, and the sin that so easily entangles. Most of us have one special sin that keeps tripping us up. We have a weakness for it. Think about it. You probably have this one entangling sin, and you thought you dealt with it, you confess, you, you deal with it, and then a month later, a year later, you're doing it again. What is your entangling sin? Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's judgmentalism. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's pessimism and cynicism. And you're just always grouchy. And you try to get over it, and you work on it, and then pretty soon you're back in it. Do you know yourself well enough to know what your entangling sin is? Because if you don't, you can probably ask those around you, and they will tell you what it is. See, what, what is it that you need to throw off? You need to ask yourself, what, 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 how, I keep sabotaging myself. I've been through several relationships now. I've been through several jobs now. I've been through several churches now. I've been, I've, you know, and it just seems that every time I try to hit the reset button and start over and get a fresh start, it's the same old problem. And I'm, I'm not running my race very well. What is your entangling sin? You need to be honest with yourself. So we look back at the great cloud of witnesses, get some inspiration and encouragement from them. We lighten up by throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Thirdly, we look to Jesus. Notice what he says. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The pioneer means he started this race, 
and, and perfecter of our faith. He finished the race, and the whole race, he created the race from beginning to end. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love this. Now watch this now. We're to look back at the great cloud of witnesses, learn from them. We're to lighten up, throw off everything that hinders, but most of all, we need to look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You consider Christ. I've been rereading a favorite book of mine. It's by E. Stanley Jones. He was a Methodist uh, pastor uh, several generations back. He was a missionary in, uh, uh, in India, and he was actually friends with Gandhi. And he, he, he even tried to, well, he witnessed to Gandhi and tried to, to influence him to receive Christ. And uh, he was just a brilliant man, a godly man. Man, did he run his race well. And I love reading his autobiography. And, and a skeptic once asked E. Stanley Jones, isn't your philosophy of life too neat, too rosy? Are you taking sufficient account of evil? Jones said, oh, I see evil. For no one can look into the face of Jesus Christ and not know what evil is. It killed him. But I gaze at him and glance at evil. If you glance at Jesus and gaze at evil, you cannot help being a pessimist. But if you gaze at Jesus and glance at evil, you cannot help being an optimist. For you see that evil has the seeds of its own destruction in it. The word evil is the word live, spelled backward. Wow. When you're running your race and things are getting tough, your job is not to explain everything and fix everything. Your job is to look to Jesus. You gaze at Jesus. You consider Christ. Yes, you acknowledge the evil. Yes, you acknowledge the pain and the suffering and all that's going wrong. But rather than gazing at that evil and being paralyzed by that evil and you end up worshiping this evil, no, no, you gaze at Christ. You keep looking to Jesus. And, and as you worship Him, you begin to realize that He is bigger and he is more powerful, and he is so sovereign, and the evil starts to look more manageable. And you're not as afraid of it because you're gazing at Christ and glancing at that evil. Some of you, you're going through life, and you're gazing at evil. You're looking at all the suffering. You're looking at all the problems. You're looking at how hard life is, and, you're, you're, and, and you're, you end up worshiping that. And you hardly notice Jesus. And what you need to do is learn to look to Jesus. And he will give you the perspective. He will give you the strength to deal better with the evil and the hardship that's going on. So you look back. You lighten up. You look to Jesus. And then fourthly, you look within. You look within. He says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Are you weary are you losing heart? Do you even know what you are feeling? I think sometimes we rush through life and we are so busy 
and that we become numb. And sometimes we do it intentionally. We stay busy and scattered so that we can't really even feel what's going on. And then, of course, we have every, all the, you know, whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever, where we try to numb ourselves some more. But at some point, if you're going to run your race well, if you're going to live a healthy life, you've got to look within and face up to and own what's really going on in here. Why am I so negative? Why am I always so upset? Why am I so discouraged? Why am I always so weary? Why am I losing heart? And you get honest about that. You look within, and you, then you look up and you look at Christ, and you say, Christ, here is my heart. Here is my mind. You know me. You know my entangling sin. You know all the things that are hindering me. And I'm gazing at you, Lord Jesus. And he helps you overcome. So we look back, we lighten up, we look to Christ, we look within. And then finally, I tried to find another L. And, you know, because I, you know, I'm a preacher, and I have to have all these L's lined up. And, and, and I couldn't, couldn't think of one. So the, the final point is don't waste your pain. Now, what a congregation we have, I have to tell you. After the first service, I had at least five people come up and say, oh, I found an L for you. You know, you, know, you can learn from your pain. Uh, you, you can learn from your mistakes. You can, uh, the one I liked the best was you can leverage your pain. Okay, so if you're one of those people and you really want all L's here, you know, just write that in. Leverage, leverage your pain. Don't waste your pain. We won't read all the verses here, verses 4 through 13. That's what these verses are about. Don't waste your pain. You need to leverage it. So, so I just want us to look at verse 7. Look at it here. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Focus on that phrase, endure hardship as discipline. This passage is so rich, we could spend a long time on it, but, but I, here's the key point. He's saying in these verses here, don't waste your pain. Don't waste it. You need to leverage it. You need to learn from it. Take everything that happens in your life, including your pain, including the hardships, whatever it is, take all that bad stuff, and don't waste it, but you receive it as discipline. The, 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 the Greek word here translated discipline, and it occurs like five, six, seven times here in this passage, is paideia, where we get our English word pediatrics. What, what's pediatrics? What's, what's a pediatrician? A, a pediatrician is a doctor who treats children, right? And what is the primary aim of a pediatrician? It's the health and well-being of the child, right? And so the, the Greek word paideia has to do with with children. It has to do with, with raising a child well. It has to do with disciplining them, educating them, training them. This whole concept of raising a child well. What this passage is saying is, God is your pediatrician father. You are his son. You are his daughter. He is your father. 
And, and as a good father, as a good doctor, pediatrician, he is so concerned about your health and well-being. And he wants you to use everything that comes into your life, even and especially the hardships and the pain and the suffering and the trials. And he wants you to use that and receive that. See, you and I, we tend to get all caught up in explaining it. We want answers. We want, why did this happen? You know, what this passage is saying, just receive it all. Don't get all caught up in why did this happen and, and what am I going to do? You know, you know, it, it's just you receive it as an education in your race, in your race of faith, in your walk with Christ. And you realize that He is your Father and He loves you and nothing can come into your life that He doesn't permit or allow or cause. A few weeks ago, we in Hebrews 6, we started talking about, you know, Calvinism, Arminianism. Does God cause things? Does he allow things? Why do all these? You know, you know the, the, that has its place where you try to study Scripture and, and come to make sense what it means for you. But at the end of the day, Calvinism, Arminianism, what, when bad things come into your life, we can all agree you need to use it as discipline. Use it, receive it as an education where you're saying, God, how do you want me to grow through this? How do you want me to become more holy? Notice the verse there that says, so that you may share in his holiness. This is what God's after. And and so when you start to see life as a race and you see God as your father, whose goal is to help you run your race well, so that you learn and grow. And he is, he is the best parent ever. This passage, it talks about, those of you who are parents, you know that you have to do all kinds of things to discipline your kids, to train your kids, to educate your kids that they don't really like. And sometimes they think you hate them. But, but the, the fact is, you love them so much. So you say things like, you're going to school. And they go, I don't want to go to school. I hate school. Too bad. You're going to school. I, 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 I don't want to take these piano lessons, but too bad. You're going to take these piano lessons, at least for a while. It's just part of your education. I want you to experience this. And you know, Jimmy, because you lied to me, you're not going to the party tonight. Oh, but Mom, please. No, you're not going because I, I don't want you to be a liar. I want you to learn there are consequences to your behavior. So this is discipline for you. As parents, we know that our job is not to just be best buds with our kids and make them like us at any cost, but sometimes we have to discipline them in, in, in ways that they don't even understand right now. Our job is to help them grow up. What this passage is saying is that you and I are children of God. You are His son. You are His daughter. And you are to receive everything that happens to you in life, especially the hard things and the bad things. And you receive it as discipline. Endure hardship as, endure hardship as paideia, as an instruction, as, as education, as training, as discipline, so that you may learn and grow and become more of what God wants you to be. Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to imagine right now you're running a race. And it's a marathon. 
and you're nearing the end of this marathon, and you're turning into the stadium, and there are thousands of people in this stadium, and they're on their feet, and they're cheering you on, and many of them are shouting your name. They are that great cloud of witnesses. Picture yourself running that race. Do you feel that extra burst of energy? Even though you're exhausted and you would love to quit, you actually start running a little faster because you know you're nearing the end and and you're also energized because everyone's encouraging you on. Your Heavenly Father today is saying, don't quit the race. Run it well. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's already run the race, and He has your race marked out for you. So run it well. Run into His arms.